You're listening to the Sports Brothers Podcast by Sam and Brian Dostal. Everything sports, all the time. What's going on, everybody? It's Brian Doster for another edition of the Sports Brothers Podcast. Everything sports all the time. I will be doing the show alone once again today as Sam once again is off doing work, doing other things. So I will continue the show as we are on to our second podcast of the summer as I did one a couple days ago. And uh, now here on Tuesday, June 14th, 2016, it's another show to put down in the books and in the archives of the Sports Brothers here on the Nico Empire. As today, well, certainly uh, the big talk is what happened and what transpired last night in Oracle Arena in Game 5 of the NBA Finals. As Boy, did we really learn a lot about these two teams following last night's Cavaliers victory, 112-97 over the Warriors. Uh, and also in this show, we'll be talking about a pitcher's home run derby. Do I like it or do I not? Uh, and the Stanley Cup Finals, we have a winner. It's the Pittsburgh Penguins. They won their fourth Stanley Cup championship in franchise history. And uh, a little bit of College World Series along with Itro Zizewski. And he is approaching a big-time milestone. Again, you're listening to the Sports Brothers Podcast here on the Nico Empire. Uh, make sure you... Listen to all of Nico's shows, the Nico Show, the Think Tank, and why is this a thing? Make sure you subscribe to all of those shows, including this one right here, uh, and feel free to follow Sam and I on Twitter. Uh, you can; it's right in the description, list on the podcast. But uh, at b underscore dostler five, that's d o s t a l e r, and then for Sam at Sam Dosty five. Uh, but just want to before we get going on the show, just want to congratulate the. Plainville High School class of 2016 for graduating last night. And uh, certainly it's it's quite an accomplishment. And for myself, I can't believe it's already been three years that I've graduated high school. Uh, I do know a couple of the of the people that graduated from from the high school this this year. So, uh, again, I just want to congrat, congrats on that accomplishment. Uh, and... The YMCA, it's it's walking distance away from my house. Uh, for those of you who don't know where I live, I mean, it's literally right down the road. Um, and there's project graduation in the YMCA every single year at the Y. And parents do a phenomenal job every single year. I mean, they really go above and beyond with the theme. Uh, I was in the YMCA earlier yesterday uh, playing basketball and saw the theme, and it was a cruise ship. I mean, it, it it's... It's it's fantastic what they do, and uh, I just remember thinking last night. I was like, "That's when you really think about it. That's the last night uh, of your high school career where it's where it's normal. Uh, where normalcy is. It's it's the last time where you can you can run into high school the kids that will go to your high school in your class, and it's it's not awkward. I guess where it's it's. You know, if, if you walk by a bunch of people in high school, when you're in high school and you don't say hi to them, it's, it's, not, it's not rude because, I mean, you see them every day. But when you see them out in the open now that you graduate high school, you almost feel obligated that you have to say hello to them. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but um, really was just a reminder in, of, of that. And this kind of uh, 
goes along with with uh, the Think Tank in their latest episode because they were talking about coming back from college uh, or the military. I mean, it was really mainly college because I don't know. I mean, it's not like Mike, Alex, or Nico have any military experience, but coming back to uh, their home, your hometown after a long period of uh, going away. And certainly it's different. I mean, it's obviously everything's in the same place in your hometown, but it does feel different. Um, so that's a pretty good podcast over there. That was their latest episode on the Think Tank. Um, so that was on Friday. But again, let's let's head to Game 5 of the NBA Finals. Uh, certainly a lot of storylines going into this one. And the biggest one was Draymond Green not playing in this one because of a suspension. He was suspended for this game for uh, punching or allegedly punching LeBron James in the man region in game four, late in game four. I mean, the game was pretty much decided as the Cavaliers were trailing by 10 points with two and a half minutes to go. Uh, so no Draymond Green in this one. And still going into this game, I believed that the Warriors were going to win this game because they had the home crowd. They they had the Oracle fans behind them. They still have Steph Curry. They still have Klay Thompson. They still have Iguodala. You think they're still going to come away with this victory. But boy, did this this was certainly one heck of an effort by the Cavaliers, and one, one one heck of two efforts from Kyrie Irving and LeBron James, who became the first pair of teammates to score 40 plus in an NBA Finals game, as they each scored 41 points apiece. Uh, and when I was watching this game in the first possession of of the game, uh, well, first series, and really for, for the entire game was that the Golden State fans elected to boo LeBron James every time he touched the ball. And I remember when it first happened early in the game, I was like, you don't want to do that. You, you don't want to do that to LeBron James. And my question to you folks this is one of many questions. See, I'm trying to really make you think on this podcast. I try to make you think on every single podcast. But this is really one uh, where this Game 5 creates so many different headlines and, and so many different possibilities and, and, uh, and things like that is – all this talk with obviously Stephen Stephen Curry being the back-to-back MVPs, he was a unanimous uh, MVP this season, the first in NBA history. Uh, it, it was also a reminder last night that LeBron James is like, "Hey, I'm still the best in the game there is today." Uh, 41 points for him, shot 16 of 30 from three, four of eight from three. Folks, this is obviously a player, LeBron James. It's no secret he is known to be a player that is. That he's great at getting to the basket. He's great from 15 feet in, right? He he's known to attack the rim, get to the lane, get to the foul line, and get his points that way. But when he has his his mid range going, when he has his three point game going, this guy's unstoppable. And last night was another another game. Another I think this was an all time great performance by LeBron James. An elimination game. You're down 3-1, not even 3-2, but you're down 3-1. You need to win three straight against a Golden State Warriors team that has set an NBA record and wins in the regular season. And he comes out fire on all cylinders. Because you look at some of his top games of his career for LeBron James, and he's been spectacular in obviously a bunch of games. I mean, you look at most noteworthy here in the New England region is we think about Game 6 of the 2012 Eastern Conference Finals when he scored 45 points in Game 6 versus the Celtics. You think of Game number 5 back in 2007 when he scored 
uh, 25 straight points and 29 out, of, 29 out of 30 against the Pistons in a double overtime win. Uh, you look at last night, we scored 41 points, and then a couple of years ago in Game 7 of the 2013 NBA Finals, he scores 37 points. And you look at those games, again, 45 points against the Celtics, 48 points against the, the Pistons, 41 last night, and 37 against the Spurs. What elevates his game to another level is his jump shot. And I don't think this is a secret. I don't. I really don't think this is a bold statement. I mean, when LeBron James can hit a a 15 footer plus, like a fi- from fi- from 15 feet out, he's he's unstoppable. And again, I think last night was really, really a case, a reminder of how dominant he can be. Uh, I mentioned that those four games that he had, and in all those games, he had eight plus jump shots that were outside 15 feet. Again, you know he's going to score in the lane. You know he's going to get to the basket. Just alone on that, between going to the hoop and and getting fouls, he's good for, in a postseason game, he's good for 25 points, just automatically. When he gets that outside shot and he hits four threes in the game like he did last night, LeBron James is unstoppable. No, no one is better than LeBron James when he is hitting his jump shot. Again, Last night, he had eight jump shots that were outside 15 feet. If he can do that in game six, and should there be a game seven, Cleveland's not losing the series. His, his partner in crime, and finally it seemed that somebody else for his team stepped up. Kyrie Irving had a career night. A career night for this young man. Remember, this guy's only 24 years old. He only played 11 games at Duke. So he doesn't. So he has a, a lot of upside still. I mean, Kyrie Irving may not even be the best that he's going to be in his career, which is certainly scary for opponents. The 41 points came on 17 of 24 shooting. I mean, this guy didn't miss. He shot 71 percent from the field, uh, five of seven from three, six assists, three rebounds, and two steals, and he really made the biggest buckets of the game. Uh, you could argue down the stretch. Uh, with 6:39 left, the, the the Warriors they cut it the lead to six. The crowds came back into it, and Kyrie he drives left, he throws up a shot with really an awkward shot uh, on the baseline with one foot with one leg up over two defenders and and knocks it in. That was the start of seven straight points because it was capped off by a three pointer that he drilled right in the face of Andre Iguodala and put him up 13 with. Uh, he scored. He scored seven points in about a minute ten. I mean, it was just boom, lightning fast. And Irving was uh, certainly a uh, a huge part of last night's win. And mention this kid's only 24 years old, but let's talk about Kyrie Irving a little bit here, because his role in Cleveland has really changed uh, in the last couple of years. Because obviously, before LeBron James and Kevin Love came to Cleveland, he was the guy, right? He was the, the Cavaliers' first pick. He was, he was the go-to scorer. He was. It was on Kyrie Irving to, not, I mean, not only win games but eventually get to the playoffs and whatnot. Uh, once LeBron got there, it was all the pressure went on to LeBron's shoulders. It wasn't nearly as many on Kyrie Irving. And reading reading an article from Michael Rosenberg from Sports Illustrated, it was it was talking about this. And how he had to really adjust himself from being a go-to scorer. I mean, just really his entire life. 
in high school, he's a go-to scorer. He only played 11 games at Duke, but when he was, he was a go-to guy. And in his first couple seasons with the Cavaliers, you gave the ball to Kyrie Irving when a basket was made. But when you have a guy like Kevin Love and another guy like LeBron James coming in, at the time, I mean, he's the third option. I mean, now he's the second option. Kevin Love has struggled. Talk about that in a few moments about Kevin Love. But he's no longer the, the go-to guy. And when those two players first came over to Cleveland, A.J. Griffin, the general manager for, for the Cleveland Cavaliers, just saying that he, he had a tough time with pace. I mean, he because Kyrie could go at his own pace when he was the guy, right? The offense ran through him, so he could do essentially whatever he wanted. He can't necessarily do that anymore. I mean, he, he's got to go at a pace that Tyron Lue, that LeBron James really wanted him to go. And Griffin was actually saying that could have been a good thing that Kyrie almost got hurt in last year's finals. Obviously, you would rather have him in that game uh, or in that series, excuse me. But he's but he was he was just saying that he could see how fast he needed to play and how much better he needed to get. He said this his this past off season coming into the season was his best off season of his career. And you look at what he is doing now in this postseason, this forty one point game is it seems like it's clicking with Kyrie Irving. And, folks, if it's just clicking with, with an all-star point guard at the age of 24 with LeBron James, I mean, LeBron's, I mean, if, if he stays in Cleveland for the rest of his career, I mean, he's got, what, nine, ten years left? Maybe maybe a little less. But now you're talking Kyrie is, is going to be playing with LeBron potentially during his prime of his career. So the, the young career of Kyrie Irving is, is just getting started. Um, but Irving was just making tough shot after tough shot. I mean, it was it was unbelievable last night. Um, but again, it just seems like it's clicked for Kyrie Irving. And obviously, it's you can't expect as a Cavaliers fan or as an NBA fan to say that the, the, the Cavs need another 40-40 and 40 game from LeBron and from Kyrie Irving to win game six and then should they force a game seven because you can't. Um, but what LeBron is saying is like, guys, just someone needs to score with me. Listening and watching the Colin Coward show earlier today, and it was pretty amazing. In the playoffs, when LeBron James has a teammate that scores 20-plus points, he's 86-33. and 33. When a teammate scores 30-plus, he's 12-5. and five. When a teammate scores 40-plus, he's 2-0. and oh. So back just 20 points a game, 86-33, and 33, that's 72%. That's three out of four games he wins. I mean, if you have another player that averages 20 points a game in a series, and if he scores 20 a game, you're winning that series in six games every time. So finally, for LeBron's sake, he was able to get somebody else uh, to help him score. LeBron only had two turnovers in yesterday's game. That's the thing that I don't think people are necessarily talking about. It was a clean game played by LeBron James who in this postseason has criticized himself and put a lot of pressure on himself for uh, not turning the ball over. Last game he had seven turnovers. He only had two turnovers last night. And the first turn and his, his first turnover was on the first possession of the game. So not so he only had one turnover after that. Really just a, a phenomenal game. In seven elimination games, uh, he's he's averaged seven elimination NBA Finals games. He's averaging 31 points, 11 rebounds, and seven assists. That's from the Twitter page of Nick Wright from Fox Sports. 
31, 11, and 7. That's unbelievable. That's that's insane. I mean, again, these are an elimination NBA Finals game, so these are the biggest games of the season. And he's putting up numbers like this. It's absolutely incredible. Moving over to Golden State, and uh, again, this is a team that didn't have that didn't have Draymond Green in this ball game. Uh, he was sidelined in this one because of the suspension, obviously, and. For a while now, I have said that Draymond Green is the most important player for this Golden State team, but he's not a top 10 player. You could even make the argument he's not a top 20 player. He, he He's probably a top 20 player, maybe top 15. He, he might be in the in the 16 to 20 range uh, because, really, if if you're starting to franchise, right, if, if, if for whatever reason the NBA decided to just let everyone be a free agent and teams just get to, get to pick a, a free-for-all, a fantasy draft, if you will, Draymond Green is not a top 10 pick. He is a product of the system. He was he was a second-round pick. He was the 35th overall pick. And Tom Izzo was on uh, the Colin Coward show. Or excuse me, uh, he wasn't on the Colin Coward show, but he was also on the Dan Patrick show today. And Dan Patrick asked him and said, did you expect Draymond Green to be this good? And even Izzo, his college coach, said, I wish I could say yes, but no. I mean, he did not see this type of potential for Draymond Green, who just does a little bit of everything so well. You know, he can hit the outside shot. He's the dirty player. He's he's uh, the guy's going to get the rebounds, the tip-ins. He's going to do all the dirty work uh, for the team, and they certainly missed that last night. The Warriors did. I mean, it was a great first half. I mean, this was a 61-61 halftime game. I mean, both teams were going up and down. Uh, you had Sean Livingston dunk over, I believe it was Richard Jefferson. I mean, the Oracle was going nuts. And then, I mean, right after that, Kyrie Irving drills a, a long two-pointer to silence the crowd. I mean, it was a back-and-forth game uh, between these two teams, especially in the first half. But the Warriors went cold. Now, I know Andrew Bogut was out for the majority of the second half, which certainly did not help. But no Draymond Green really hurts the, the Golden State Warriors. Draymond Green... Let's put it this way, kind of fitting it back into a little bit into the podcast of uh, of the think tank from with Nico Nico DiGiorgio, Alex Lawson, and Mike Cosentini. Draymond Green is is a glue to a friend group, right? I mean, people, you have your friend groups, you have your six, seven, eight guys, however many it is uh, that you always hang out with, and you know, it's you have an unspoken glue guy where kind of if that one person isn't there, then the experience of hanging out with each other isn't as fun. Now, it's still functional. I mean, you're still having a good time with each other. You're still laughing. You're still having fun. You're still doing whatever. Uh, but it's it doesn't feel the same. You know, I mean, it starts off well. You know, the first couple hours of the hangout, it's it's going all right. I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong. But, you know, you, you might pack your bags early and you might instead of hanging out till midnight you may just, you may go home a little bit early. You may leave at eleven PM. This is what happened last night with Golden State. Warriors having a good time. Look, I mean Clay Thompson and Steph Curry, like they can score points without Draymond Green. I mean, it's it's not like they're solely dependent on on, on this guy. I mean if they if they go to another team, I expect them to just be averaging twenty plus, even around twenty five points per game. So they start off hot. Everyone's having a good time right in the beginning. They score 61 points in the first half. But as the night gets longer, the Warriors start missing shots, start missing shots. They went 3 for 19 from 3 in the uh, in the third in the second half. 
three for 19. They only shot 11 for 29 in the, in the second half from the field. So again, the glue guy, Draymond Green, wasn't there for the entire night, and in the end, it wasn't as fun of a night. Again, can still play. I mean, they scored 97 points. They scored 61 in the first half. But in the end, and you look back on it, you say, yeah, we kind of wish our glue guy was at this hangout. It would have been, been a little more fun. And this is, this is what it is for, for, for the Thunder. Excuse me, not for the Thunder. For Golden State. So Green, he watched the game in a suite at the A's game. Uh, he went to the bathroom in a public bathroom. A um, little bit of a questionable decision there. You would think that there's a bathroom in a suite somewhere. Then again, the Coliseum is a dump. So who knows there. Uh, something to note, something that you may not have heard of in other sports networks and, and something that's very, very important. Should Draymond Green pick up a flagrant foul Thursday night in Game 6, he will be suspended for Game 7. These flagrant fouls are not resetting. For whatever reason, I, 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 don't, I think they should be because he served the suspension, right? He, is, he did what he was supposed to do. You got to give him some slack a little bit. You know, can, can he learn from this? Because one more flagrant and he's gone for game seven. Now, unless Draymond does something completely irrational and completely off the walls and uncalled for, I think he's playing game seven if there's a questionable call. You know, I, I think he'll be playing game seven because the NBA wants their, the best players in the world playing in the most important game of the season. But again, Green will not be playing Game 7 if he is suspended, or excuse me, if he is uh, called for a flagrant foul in Game number 6. You know who really struggled in this game was Harrison Barnes. Only scored 5 points. Everyone talks about Kevin Love. People are giving more uh, criti- or criticizing Kevin Love in this game more than Harrison Barnes, which to me I think is very questionable because Harrison Barnes was taking a lot of the shots that Drayvon Green takes. And what I mean by that, you look at, at Harrison Barnes. Now, there were times that were late in the game when Barnes was really struggling where the Cavs, they gave Green a lot of space. But the thing that's so great about the Warriors is they always make the extra pass, right? They drive, they kick, they swing it around the perimeter, and they eventually find the right guy. A lot of the times, Draymond Green is the guy that's at the top of the key or on the wing that's there that can knock down the three-pointer. Harrison Barnes was not that guy last night. Harrison Barnes, you saw a lot of the, a lot of the times was on the top of the key, wide open for three, and he couldn't hit anything. He couldn't buy. He, he couldn't throw a ball in the ocean last night. Five points, two of fourteen from the field, one of six from three. You know he hits a couple there. Maybe this is a different game, but the shots that he were taking were very very similar to the ones that Draymond Green takes at the top of the key. And speaking of Kevin Love. People, again, are criticizing Kevin Love, saying he's not worth five years, $110 million. Again, I've said I don't think any player of any sport is worth over $100 million, certainly for, for sports. But And I understand that he only scored two points in 33 minutes. He took five shots. He won one for five. Certainly, this was not Kevin Love's best game of his career. And I get J.R. Smith scored 10 points and other pieces. They, they scored and, and were able to to play off of Kyrie Irving and and LeBron James, but my question to you folks is, why would you look for a third option? When you have Kyrie and LeBron playing at such a high level, and the thing about the these 41 points is it's not that like they took 50 shots to get it. 
Okay, they were extremely efficient between these two these two guys. Sixteen for thirty, so that's just above fifty percent, and then seventeen for twenty four. So these guys weren't missing; they were making a ton more than they were missing. So why would you look for a third option? Why would you feel the need to give it to Kevin Love to to get him going, especially late in the ball game? The last 25 baskets were either assisted or scored by Kyrie Irving or, or LeBron James. Incredible stat and incredible feat. But why would you look for that third option? Like, what's the point? You got two guys, not one, but two guys. You know, maybe if LeBron is the one scoring and maybe he's like, all right, I got to try to get people involved. Maybe, maybe a little bit of that. But he had, he had Kyrie Irving going along with him. So why would you even consider trying to force Kevin Love in, into this game? I just think Kevin Love gets a lot of unfair criticism. Talked about in the last podcast and saying, because he didn't play game three, and the Cavaliers won that game by 30 points, and you're absolutely crazy that if you that Kevin Love is a, is a minus 30, or excuse me, the Cavaliers are a plus 30 when he's off the floor. I mean, the Cavaliers were winning game three regardless if Kevin Love was on the floor, Kevin Hart was on the floor. They were, they were going to win that game. I mean, going home, down 0-2, they were absolutely going to win that game. It didn't matter if Kevin Love was playing it or not. I mean, the, the guy's got talent. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Is he less aggressive in Cleveland than he was in Minnesota? Yes. Is Obviously, his stats are better in Minnesota, but still, come on. But yeah, Golden State, they just really went ice cold in the second half. Again, they, they had 61 points in the first half, only 36 points in the second half. And their last field goal of the game came with 639 left. On a Curry jump shot that cut the lead to six, but that's when, as I mentioned earlier, that Kyrie went off on that 7-0 run by himself in a little over a, over a minute. Um, and yeah, so a 112-97 victory for Cleveland. Game six is going to be on Thursday night in Cleveland at the Quicken Loans Arena, nine o'clock on ABC. And uh, this this is going to be a great a great game. Um, you know, obviously the big storyline is that Green is, is going to be back in this ball game. You know, how how is he going to uh, play after missing one game? How about this? Could because he's because Green scored twenty eight points in in game two, and and it's really he's had a he's had a Draymond Green uh, series as you expect. I mean, he's close to a triple double uh, with points, rebounds, and assists. He's played pretty much how you expect, and in, in game two he played exceptionally well. If the Warriors win game six, and if Green plays like Draymond Green, say he gets 20-10 and 8, right? I mean, that's pretty much what Draymond Green does. I mean, he comes close to triple-doubles every time he, he comes out and plays. Does he get the MVP? Now, because Damian Kempe was over and I was watching this game last night, and he asked me that before before game five even started. And I said, no, there's no way he missed the game. I mean, how could you give the MVP to to anyone uh, that misses a full game because of a suspension? But, folks, if the Warriors closed out last night, who would have gotten the MVP? I mean, other than LeBron James, who deserves MVP of the series? You could say maybe Kyrie Irving. Now, I mean, you could say Steph Curry, but he's, I mean, he hasn't, he, he had a great game four. He had a serviceable game three, but he hasn't been shooting lights out like he has in the regular season. No one in the Warriors overall has stood out this 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 postseason, or uh, excuse me, this this finals. Clay Thompson had twenty six points in the first half. 
right there that could be NBA Finals worthy, but he only had nine points in the second half. So could Draymond Green's absence in Game 5 help solidify his MVP if the Warriors are winning the series? Because if, if the Cavs, or excuse me, if the Golden State Warriors win Game 6 on the road, so if they win back-to-back -back games on the road in the NBA Finals, and Green's a big part of that, and you say, oh, well, I mean, the Warriors, they lost two games before before last night at home, and Green wasn't playing this one, but they were able to win this one on the road. And, I mean, this is Quick and Lone Green is a place where the home crowd isn't used to the home team losing e either. Green has a serious case for MVP. Which, is, again, just shows you how valuable he is to this team. Like I said earlier, I, th I think he's the most important player of this team. And, and the MVP is on the two-time MVP is on, the, is on this team. You're listening to the Sports Brothers Podcast, where it's everything sports all the time with Brian Dostler. Sam is off today. He is uh, once again doing work. Uh, next podcast will be Friday or Saturday. I do have work at the Country Club on Friday, so I'm not sure um, what's going to happen there. Uh, if if the, I'll be doing it around probably this time, but i got to do prep work and stuff like that because it'll be after a busy game six. Uh, so it'll either be Friday or Saturday. Uh, more to come on this podcast I'll uh, be talking about pitchers and home run derbies. Ichiro is one hit away from time Pete Rose for most hits of all time, and Pete Rose has some strong thoughts about that. Uh, but tonight I will be going and playing a baseball game for the Bristol Greeners. If you remember last summer I talked about this team on this very own podcast. Uh, it's a team that I play in the Bristol Greeners with a – I got an in from one of my friends from school at Eastern. Uh, so I'll be playing a baseball game in Naugatuck, and I'll be pitching tomorrow night. Um, at Bristol Central High School. Really looking forward to that. Um, played in a game uh, Sunday for the first time in a year. Um, it's just great to be out there. Uh, certainly miss playing it every day. And uh, it's, yeah, uh, just be able to go out and play. I mean, obviously it's different because I'm not playing with, with my with my long longtime teammates and stuff like that, so it's it's a little bit different in that sense. But just just be able to play. I mean, it, it's it's really it's really cool. Um, moving on to the quickly Stanley Cup Finals, uh, as the Pittsburgh Penguins they defeated the San Jose Sharks four two in the series. They won in six games. Um, game six was on Sunday night where they won that one three to one in San Jose. It's the fourth Stanley Cup in franchise history for the Penguins. Sidney Crosby is your con smite winner, despite not scoring a goal in the entire series. Now, I mean, I didn't watch most of the series, but, I mean, from just a sports perspective, I'm sure he got a couple assists in this series. I'm sure he made a couple uh, things that are don't show up in the, st in the stat sheet. Um, you know, he made hockey plays. Everyone talks about, like, a hustle play or a basketball play, like diving for loose balls or things like that. I'm sure he made a lot of hockey plays uh, in this series. Um, so, but he still gets that Conn Smythe Trophy, uh, award, um, this first, of his, first, first career of his, um, it's the second cup of his career, and, uh, it just, it adds to what really has, is starting to really turn into, uh, a Hall of Fame career for Sidney Crosby, a two-time Olympic gold medal for Canada, which, I mean, you win the gold medal twice, because obviously, I mean, he, he's, he's probably won it the two times he could have, right? Um, really, a gold medal for Canada for hockey is really, really up there. Um, a two-time Hart Trophy, that's the MVP, and a two-time Stanley Cup Award winner. Um, Nick Bonanno from Farmington, Connecticut, 
Uh, had really himself a, a quite the postseason. Uh, back earlier in the postseason, he had the game-winning goal in the Eastern Conference semifinals in Game 6 against uh, Alex Ovechkin in the Washington Capitals. He scored a game-winning goal in overtime to help the Penguins win 4-3. to um, So just obviously a local kid from Farmington, went to Avonall Farms or Farmington High School, I'm not exactly sure, one of the two. Um, another hockey news from today is that uh, Las Vegas, they will be getting an expansion NHL team and this team could be playing as early and as soon as the 2017-2018 season. So not next season, but the season after that. Good idea for hockey or any professional team to have a team in Las Vegas. Now, I've never been to Vegas. I might be going there uh, next May, right? Yeah, May with a TV club at, at school at Eastern Connecticut. Um, but from what I've heard, it's pretty much, it, it, I mean, it's there's nothing there except for the casino life, right? I mean, there's just the, the strip, and, and that's really Vegas. Uh, nothing else much to it. Um, I'm not sure if a hockey expansion team, not even a, re- a relocation, but an expansion team is the right move. Um, because really, it's... Uh, not sure how how dedicated this this the fan base would be, but then again, from from a revenue standpoint, you don't really care if they're like you care if they're dedicated enough, but you just want to you just want to put people in the seats, right? Um, that's what makes them come back. I don't know. It's a hockey team in in Vegas doesn't seem like the best idea for for uh, for the NHL, and it really takes another shot. If there was, I mean, any hope, to take another shot at any people that still hope, believe, want a team in Hartford um, because Vegas has a team. College World Series, that will be starting on Saturday. And uh, was able to catch a little bit of the Super Regionals, including Sam Cohen from UC Santa Barbara. What a moment. If you haven't seen it, go on YouTube, go on the College World Series Twitter page, go on the UC Santa Barbara Twitter, baseball Twitter page, because if you like big hits, you like big moments, this kid certainly delivered uh, at Louisville. Uh, was able to deliver a walk-off home run against the Cardinals. It's to help them send to their first trip to Omaha in the College World Series and program history. And Santa Barbara is down three nothing with the base loader. This kid down one two in the count. Now he's a third string catcher. A third string catcher, a pinch hit. So I'm not sure how many bats he had in the, in the postseason, I mean the tournament and. and conference tournament, but I mean, he hasn't gotten that many bats in the season. He pinch hits and he hits a grand slam off the closer, Zach Birdie, who was drafted 26 overall in the MLB drafts a few days earlier on Thursday. So not only do you hit a walk-off grand slam, basically on the road, because the Super Regional was hosted by Louisville, playing against Louisville, um, but you do it to send it, it's in the ninth inning, so you do it to send your teams to the College World Series, but you do it on Arguably, the, I mean, 26 overall, are you the best closer, reliever in all of Division One baseball, in all of college, in, in, in the college baseball? And this is a, a Cardinals team that not just this season, but in the past four seasons have been literally automatic when leading after eight innings because, I mean, they're winning 3 nothing in the ninth inning. So after eight innings this season, Louisville was 47-0. When leading after eight innings, they won 50 games. So 47 out of the 50, they were winning after eight games. And even more, more going back into the stat, is their last loss after leading the eighth inning was May of 2012. So they were 186-0 and before that pitch. 
186-0 when your team is leading eight. Excuse me, leading after eight innings. Or excuse me, uh, in into the eighth inning. It's unbelievable. We roll right right along to Major League Baseball. Again, you're listening to the Sports Brothers Podcast with Brian Doss for Sam is off today. Next podcast will be Friday or Saturday here on the Nico Empire. Itro Zizuski, uh, just it's kind of snuck up, I think, on the baseball community. And a large part of it is because he's kind of down in South Beach. He's down in Miami, uh, certainly a, a team. They're in third place. I mean, they're not doing anything special in the National League East, and they're not in a major market. But Itro is just one hit away from tying Pete Rose for most hits all time. Now, there's a little bit of an asterisk to this because Ichiro's first 1,278 hits came in Japan, and the other 2,997 come in Major League, Base, uh, in Major League Baseball. And, uh, and don't worry. I mean, for those of you that want Pete Rose to keep his record, uh, Rose will be able to keep it because Major League Baseball obviously only recognizes the hits that were happened in Major League Baseball. They're not going to count the ones in Japan. But that did not stop Pete Rose from really being upset uh, about – all this talk. Um, and here's, I'll read this quote. It's a little bit lengthy, but here's what he had. To, he, Pete Rose told the USA today about, uh, about Ichiro Zuzuki on potentially, and what most likely will happen means surpassing uh, his, his all time hits, which again, it, they will, they won't be recognized. So even when, when Ichiro does get to 4,257 hits, which is one more than his 4,256 for Rhodes, Rose, Pete Rose is still going to be the all-time hits leader. But uh, the, the former Cincinnati Reds says, it sounds like, in, quote, it sounds like in Japan they're trying to make me the hit queen. I'm not trying to take it away from Ichiro. He said, he said he's had a Hall of Fame career, but the next thing you know, they'll be counting his high school hits. He went on to say a little bit more, saying, I don't think you're going to find anybody with credibility say that Japanese baseball is equivalent to Major League Baseball. There are too many guys that fail here and then become household names there, like Tuffy Rhodes. How can he not do anything here and hit a record time, 55 home runs in 2001 over there? It has to do with something with the caliber of personnel. Pete, hold the wheels, man. Uh, you're, again, you're still going to be the all-time hits leader in Major League Baseball. I mean, just this, they'll be counting his high school hits? I mean, come on. It's merely just saying the stat that when he gets two more hits, he will have more hits all time than Pete Rose. I mean, the, I mean, I mean, Pete Rose is obviously different than a lot of people. I mean, when when like for instance, when Ray Allen passed Reggie Miller for most threes all time, Reggie Miller was saying to be honored. Obviously, you personally, you probably don't want your record to be broken because you can say, I mean, who doesn't want to say that they're the all-time leading three-pointer? Who doesn't want to say that they're all-time hits in Major League Baseball? But here in this case, Pete Rose is still going to be regardless. Each rookie can have their 100 hits this year, 200 hits this year, and he's still going to be the all-time hits leader. By the way, Ichiro is 27 hits away, 27 or 37 hits away from 3,000 first career in Major League Baseball, so he would join that elite club. Um, but how about Ichiro as, as a season? Uh, he's played 53 out of the 64 Marlins games this season, and he's seen 350. Uh, no home runs, nine RBIs. So, I mean, obviously the, the other stats don't go to most, uh, go to show for it. Um, but you talk about players that, have a, that are having impressive seasons that are 40 years and older. I mean, David Ortiz obviously comes to mind. I mean, and he's by far the most impressive 
hitting 340. That's third in the American League. 16 home runs that tied for fourth in the American League and 55 RBIs in the American League. Can you imagine if David Ortiz in his final season, and by the way, folks, if you missed it, uh, probably a week ago now, maybe five, five, seven days ago, he reiterated that he is retiring. He said physically he could probably play one more year, but mentally he's just not going to play. And, and kind of when you make up that, when you when you make up your mind back in February that you're not going to be playing after the, the season, you kind of you do kind of mentally check out after next season or after the season's over, right? Don't you? I mean, we all we all yeah. I mean, you can't really blame him. Uh, I don't think even he was expecting to have this type of a season. Uh, but anyways, back to Itra. I mean, three fifty. 350 for a 42-year-old. And now, again, I think Ortiz, again, has he has the better numbers, obviously, but he's the designated hitter, right? So he's only – he's he's at bat three, four times a game, right? And, you know, sometimes he may not have to run. I mean, if he grounds out – I mean, if he goes two for four, right, a double and a home run, well, if he home, home run, he trots around, so that's not even, you know, hard work. Uh, but normally in ground balls, he's not really running out anyways. Ichiro's playing right field. He's playing a position. So he's out there every single day pretty much. He's only missed nine games, as I mentioned earlier. He's pretty much out there every single night hitting and playing the field. It's incredible. 42 years old, and he's playing at such a high level. Uh, a few more minutes left of the show. Uh, last segment of the show, a pitcher's home run derby. Uh, is has been something that Major League Baseball is considering because the pitchers in Major League Baseball are saying, hey, we want a home run derby. And I wouldn't mind it. Call me crazy, but I would not mind a, a little a little home run derby. Now, I don't want this to be drawn out too much. Uh, here, here's, here's what I say. You do four pitchers, right? Four pitchers. They each have five outs, no clock. I mean, because five outs, it's not going to take very long. Five outs and two rounds, right? The top two hitters advance the next round, and then whoever has the most after that wins. This would take maybe 20, 30 minutes tops, and that might be a lot. Yeah, I'm, you know, that's including commercials. Um, 20 minutes, that's all it takes, and then you can have the number one home run derby. I mean, it's let's, I mean, look at it, folks. The the pitchers on these on these teams. And the guys that want to do it are aces, right? I mean, but regardless, they're the they're the best player in their Little League team. They're the best player on their high school team, their AAU team. So it's not like this is the first time they're going to be swinging the bat. And especially the National League hitters, which uh, now that I really think about it, the four guys that I have in my in 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 my home run derby are na- are all National League guys. And I don't think you need to, you don't need to make it fair and say, oh, you got to have two American League, two National League, just like you have to even it out for. Uh, the position players, because obviously, I mean, they're hitters, right? They're 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 hitters first before pitchers, obviously. Uh, but just just if you go if you go three and one or four and zero, oh, that's that's fine for National League for for uh, pitchers. Uh, Madison Bumgarner, I have for one of them. He has four hits this year, two home runs, one double, five RBIs. He's voiced his his say that he wants to be in it. Uh, and the next two guys, they actually have pretty good batting averages. Jake Arrieta. He's he's got a 276 batting average. He's eight for 29. He's got one double, one home run, and five RBIs. And Adam Wainwright. Now he's got a 5.21 ERA as at the moment, but he's got a 261 batting average. He's six for 23, and he's got the most impressive stats of any of the pitchers. Again, he's 261, 
and he's got four doubles, one triple, one home run, and 10 RBIs. 23 at-bats and 10 RBIs for Adam Wainwright. And just a few days ago, in an extra inning game against the Pirates, he pinched hit in the 12th inning and delivered a two-run double. How beautiful is that? And Bartolo Colon, why not? I mean, why not? He had overrun against the Padres earlier. The place went absolutely nuts. I mean, the, the Mets were going crazy. Twitter went crazy. I mean, whenever Bartolo does something like Bartolo Colon, people go crazy. By the way, Bartolo Colon is the most loved steroid user in all of sports history. Yeah, he did steroids. He was suspended back when he was on the A's for 50 games for PED use. Most loved steroid guy. Probably forgotten by a lot of people that he took steroids. And I probably just reminded you. But why not put Bartolo Colon in this home run derby? How great would it be? I just can't get over that. Adam Wainwright has 10 RBIs and 23 at-bats for the St. Louis Cardinals. Unbelievable. That's going to do it for today's show here on June 14th on this Tuesday afternoon. Thank you for listening all uh, all show long. Uh, the next show will be either on Friday or Saturday, as that will be about Game 6 of the NBA Finals. We'll, will we be recapping uh, the Finals as a whole, meaning will the Warriors wrap it up, or will we be previewing Game 7? Let's face it, folks. Everyone wants to see Game 7. I want to see Game 7. Um, so please subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to the Sports Brothers Podcast. You can Listen to it on, on iTunes. That way we don't have to go through the Nico Empire. It just makes it a little bit easier for you. Uh, but thanks for listening for today. And uh, it's supposed to be a nice week this week, so enjoy the warm weather. But for now, folks, have a good one.